electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now in Last Call, retail mayhem, Philadelphia ransacked by looters. What is really fueling the country's surge in theft? We're going to get some answers. Chat GPT makes what may be the biggest leap yet, but can anyone actually make money off of it? The cannabis industry riding high. How a pivotal win today in Congress may turbocharge its future. Firing an arrow right at Apple. Meta revealing its new VR headset. Does it stand a chance? Plus, Automakers going all in on the EV revolution. Some revealing new data, though. They have them thinking otherwise. And they're the ultimate party schools in America. A new list just out, and there are some big surprises on it. We will run you down the top five because we gave our love a cherry. All that and much more. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. All right, good to see everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. We are back in studio tonight. All that and much more ahead. But first up on Last Call, the oil squeeze. Crude oil plowing above 93 bucks per barrel, which means gasoline prices, I'm sorry, are going to rise again. In fact, things are getting so out of hand that even NBA superstar Jimmy Butler, who is set to make $45 million this season, is feeling pain at the pump. This is high rate robbery man i'm trying to get some of this gas back hey you think if i go in there and tell them that i put the wrong gas in here they'll give me a refund that is jimmy butler at a gas station and he showed that it was more than 145 dollars to fill up his car now the car happened to be a bugatti but still so there's that But what exactly is going on with oil prices right now? And why have they kind of suddenly seemed to spike higher? Well, as always, not one thing. It's a couple things. Number one, American inventories are being drained. Storage at a key facility in Oklahoma is not at dangerously low levels yet, but it's getting close. We're just under 23 million barrels there. And if we get below 18 million barrels, Houston or Tulsa, we have a problem. That is on top of the fact that our emergency reserves, known to you as the SPR, are at 40-year lows after being sold off last year. Those will eventually, at some point, maybe need to be refilled. Now, traders know all this, which means they kind of have the federal government and the oil markets over a bit of a barrel. That, along with continued OPEC and Russia-driven production cuts, means that oil is tight. And when traders sense this, they pounce. And that's exactly what they are doing right now. Traders are buying up oil futures and they are trying to squeeze out the shorts. In other words, anyone betting against the price of oil. This perfect oil storm has pushed prices perilously high. And if it keeps up, it is likely we will see a hundred or a hundred plus dollar barrel oil again and soon. And this time, D.C. does not have any tools left in the toolbox to try to force prices lower. All right. 
So let's kick off this high energy show with Rapidan's Bob McNally and Veritan Energy's Michael Bradley. Michael, I was emailing with you earlier today. I flew over Cushing, by the way, in Oklahoma the other day. How worried should we be, if at all, maybe not, about these storage levels in Oklahoma? Yeah, Brian, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, yeah, you should be worried about storage level levels because we are at uh, dangerously low levels. You talk to traders and they say they're pretty dry, but obviously, you know, they're going to be talking their books. You know, the one thing I would say is that, uh, you know, we're going to be coming up on fall maintenance here in the next month or so. And so, yeah, we could push, uh, you know, Cushing to very low levels and we could push WTI to $100. But just realize that we're going to have that fall maintenance out there. And so, you know, that should be should be interesting. I think the big issue that we need to be work, thinking about right now is not only a cushion, but what's going to happen at the October OPEC meeting and really what's going to happen at the November OPEC meeting, because I think that's that's yeah. going to be the, the biggest, biggest issue out there. That, that will be the in-person meeting. Thank, thank you, OPEC. The Sunday after Thanksgiving, I will be there. Pro- Mike, you might be there. Bob, I know you'll probably be there as well. So oh, he's shaking his head. No, so you got to spend it. No. Th- yeah, I know. Listen, these why are they doing all these meetings, by the way, on holiday on American holidays on the weekend? I'm boycotting, Brian. It's Judeo-Christian and American national holidays. I'm not going. I am sending a colleague, but I'm not going anymore for the for the holidays. Well, I, I, Good I, luck. I, I still probably will be there. We'll see. Uh, Bob, you heard what Mike say, was saying, you know, fall yeah. maintenance, kind of a kind of a technical issue here. Maybe we'll get a relief in prices because refineries might have some overages. But is this a paper rally only? In other words, are these just traders hitting buttons on computer screens, driving prices higher, or is this a real reflection of the underlying supply demand for oil? It's the latter. It's a real reflection. You know, term spreads, prompt spreads, uh, near-month crude oil prices much higher I don't know what any of that means. What does that mean? I don't know what any of that means. Well, that means that that basically the, 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 the market is telling you you know, you ought to you you ought to draw down storage if you have it. There's no do not build storage. You know, it is telling you that the value of a barrel of oil today, right now in Cushing, is a heck of a lot more valuable than even a barrel in a month or two. That is a real world sign of tightness. Also, physical prices are high relative to futures ones for those grades. No, no, the market is seeing it and believing it. We talked about this this summer. All the balances were bullish. This is a battle between bullish balances. All the barrel counters pretty much show, showed big draws like we did. But then you have these macro fears. China's going to go under, Evergrande, another bank will go down, the Fed raising rates. Well, so far, the fundamentalists are winning. The, the markets are tightening. It's not mm. just Cushing. Uh, it's distillate stocks, heating oil on the East Coast of the United States and in Rotterdam and in Asia and so forth. It's not just there. The market is squeezed. It's tightening up. You're seeing it in spreads yeah. and curves. Not just in Cushing. Well, well, Mike, it's been, I get, Bob made the case, and we've had you on, and you were right, Bob, but, but it's, it's, like, it's like Hemingway talked about with bankruptcy. Two ways to go, right? Gradually, then suddenly. It just feels like suddenly we have seen this spike. What has happened in the last month that's, that's caused this, Mike? You know, I was just going to, you know, I was going to reiterate what Bob said. And uh, if you look at WTI time spreads, 12-month time spreads, they've gone from roughly $6 in November, when crude is at nine at ninety five dollars a barrel, and they're now at twelve fifty a barrel, and so it tells you the market is physically tight. You know what has happened? I think what has happened here is just a confluence of things. But it really is people saying that OPEC is in control of the market, and the real question is, what are they going to do at the OPEC meeting? Are they going to ease uh, at that that meeting? We don't think so. 
or do they ease in the, at the November meeting, which means the barrels will be on in January? We think that's more likely. So you have another month of just a tight, tight physical market to deal with. But I don't, you know, I don't want to speak for OPEC, Bob. They, they can do that on their own. And of course, the Saudis and the Russians have some of these cuts that they may extend through the rest of the year. Um, is there anything, though, that we could or should be doing? Maybe, maybe they are doing behind the scenes at the highest levels to try to cajole or nudge OPEC and Saudi Arabia into putting more barrels on the market or at least backing away from those million barrel a day cuts. Exactly. No, they're doing it quietly. They learned last year, the Biden administration learned last year, badgering OPEC in public doesn't work. Uh, so they're doing it quietly. And it's really all a Saudi story here. The Saudis have said, look, we're going to review our voluntary cut every month. And they're starting to say we could go up, not just down. So Mike's right. We'll have a they'll review in October. They'll review in November. And I think if we're going to get relief, it's going to be the Saudis saying, OK, I think we've made our point. We've accomplished our objectives. We're going to ease up a little bit. We have that OPEC meeting on November 26th, OPEC plus. All the ministers will come. I have a feeling all the other OPEC countries have probably baked in through the end of the year. If we're going to get a relief here on the supply side, it's most likely to come yeah. from the Saudis walking back a little bit that uh, voluntary cut. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going behind the scenes with Saudis and Israel maybe normalizing relations. That would be amazing for the world. But Iran, they may not be too happy about it. Oil is always very geopolitical, but right now it's hitting people right where it hurts. Even Jimmy Butler in the gas tank of his Bugatti. Bob, Mike, thank you both. Very Jimmy Butler's upset about the price of gas. Come on. All right, in the meantime, here's what happened to your macro money in the markets today. The Dow fell again. The Dow, by the way, now down six of the last seven sessions. S&P and NASDAQ did squeak out a small gain today, both though on pace for a fourth negative week in a row. Still some time. Thursday and Friday, we'll see. But the bigger move in stocks is in bonds and borrowing costs, because if you have not been following it closely, you should be. The bond market has been, as they say, having a moment. And prices keep falling as debts and deficits keep rising. Now borrowing costs on the 10-year bond are the highest in over 15 years. And lately, really, some rumblings out there that if this trend keeps up, mortgage rates could go to 9 or even 10% on a 30-year mortgage. Wow. All right. Anyway, inside of the markets, today's stud and dud. The stud, Norwegian cruise lines up nearly 6%. The dud was Next Era Energy, by the way, the biggest renewable energy producer in America, down massive company, formerly known as Florida Power and Light, down about 8%. All right. We are just getting going here on Last Call. Up next, not even the AI boom can save Micron from taking a dive after hours. We'll get more with Christina Partsenevelos. Plus, ChatGPT can now browse the internet. Yep, the entire thing. But can anyone actually make money off that? We'll get some answers ahead. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Time for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the big headlines you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning, CNBC style. First up, a possible backtrack from Delta. The airline adjusting its new SkyMiles rewards policy. Remember, earlier this month, Delta announced it would start basing medallion status solely on spending, not a combo with miles flown. A lot of Delta flyers apparently not happy about it. So apparently, again, after getting some grief from those flyers, Delta CEO Ed Bastian says new policies will be adjusted, but those specific adjustments have not yet been announced. All right, next up, another big win for one Elon Musk. SpaceX has received its very first contract from the U.S. Space Force. Musk's astronautics company will now provide customized satellite communications for the newest branch of the military. Space Force will be utilizing SpaceX's StarShield program for communications. The new contract further solidifies Musk's role as a defense contract. Think about that, folks. Tesla, Neuralink, SpaceX, Space Force, the boring company. Wow. Finally, semiconductor company Micron reporting earnings earlier this evening, or at least results, I should say. Despite beating Wall Street's bottom line expectations, the outlook looking a little bit more grim. Micron still operating at a loss, thus no earnings. And it expects higher losses than initially forecast for the next quarter. Those losses sending Micron shares down, in fact, down about 4%. Not too bad. But as always, maybe AI, artificial intelligence, will save the day. Let's talk about it more with Christina Partsenevelis joining us in set, on person, on set. <laughs> In person, maybe on person, yep. in set. Yep. I've been in like six cities in four days. I'm a little bit out there. All right, first up, we got a lot more interesting stuff than Micron, but give us a little bit of wrap on Micron. Well, you already went through the numbers. I, the problem with Micron is that it's a commoditized chip, and when supply is too high and demand is low, it's going to go It's going to go through this re- real cyclical wave. Mm-hmm. You bring up AI, though, and I want to mention that. Well, I'm, I'm contractually required to now in every show. <laughs> Well, there is an opportunity to bring it up and and connect the dots through all of these topics we're going to go through. Micron is making a high bandwidth memory chip that is going to be used in AI infrastructures, one that is powerful enough to process every single query that you may have to your chatbot on your computer. You're Canadian. I don't say query. What do you say? Search. Okay. Well, it's the correct way. Okay. Merci. Okay. But having said that, they only believe those memory chips will ramp up in fiscal 2024. So they're still going through this tough period. They even say on the, on the phone call, I was listening in, the CEO saying that 2024 is going to be a, a year of recovery. So maybe the bar is being set low so that in Q, when they do post their Q1 earnings, they'll beat it. But yeah. there's an opportunity for another company to, you know, push forward with AI. There you go. All right, let's move. There's a chat GPT. Everyone knows what chat GPT is, I think. But there's some story out there about now it can search the whole Internet. I'll be honest. I did not know that it couldn't before. I assumed it did. Tell us exactly what's happening and more importantly, why do we care? 
because this is a way for ChatGPT to monetize and get more money. The uh, option is only available for Plus and Enterprise users, and that means that when you're searching for something like how do I make, uh, or no, Micron's earnings, tell me how Micron did. Previously, it would only have um, information dating back from 2021 before that. Up until 2021, I should say. Now, mm. they'll go and scour, scour the web and find the most recent data. So it's time, it. time limited, effectively. Well, not anymore. It's, not it's, anymore, it's but, it was, but I didn't know it, I didn't realize it was. Yeah, but, but it's now that option is only available for those users who pay, as well as the enterprise users. Mm. But it's, it's a way to get your answers immediately right now so that you don't have to waste your time yeah. looking for that statistic on something or, or, you know, numbers on anything. You know what? You know, I like to talk about this little thing called energy, right? Oh, yes. Because it's just there's a lot of energy illiteracy out there. All I keep coming back to on AI is how much Energy, like Bitcoin mining, this is going to use. And twofold. Not only all of the GPUs that are going to be powering the energy to uh, create the AI infrastructure, but the second part of it is the cooling mechanisms that need to be put in place. Because you even think your cell phone, if you're out in the sun, or your computer, mine overheats all the time. Think of that, but, you know, in a huge Massive data room that's yeah. way bigger than this that Facebook is leasing in certain areas. They're building them all across the country. That costs money to not only power the energy that needs to go into finding your mm. queries, and, queries. And, 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 and all the information that you're seeking, but at the same time cooling. And I think to your point, that is something that we're underestimating when we talk about all of these startups that are building uh, their AI infrastructures, yeah. snapping up all the GPUs. Okay, that's the high CapEx cost. But then what about the cost every single year it's going to be for these firms to maintain those massive okay. AI infrastructures. All right. Well, Christina P., we're going to say goodbye. We got a cool thing coming up. Where did you go cool. to? This where did you cool. go to college? Halifax State, Saskatoon Tech. God. Where did you go to school? I went to many schools. I went to Concordia, Carleton, and Oxford. Oxford. Yeah, I needed to have one brand on my resume because then no one else would know the schools. Why are you knocking to. Concordia State? No, I'm not. Wow. They're, they hopefully they're not listening right they, now. They great, are. I think we're seeing great, it. Can't. Anyway, it's a great I, I, It is Manitoba A and T. I love it. Here, I bring okay. it up because coming up after the break, we got a new list of the top party schools out in America. I was there. That's it. It's surprising. I was there. Saskatoon U is not on the list. <laughs> we have it though. Plus, the cannabis industry has plenty of reason to spark it up tonight. Jane Wells, proud USC grad. Sending out in Pasadena, California with more on why. Jane. Uh, Brian, it is exactly 420. And uh, while the overwhelming majority of Americans support legal marijuana, the Senate not so much. But today, one small step for cannabis, one giant leap for banking when we come back. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, today's RBI is about red solo cups, ping pong balls, and maybe a few dice, because if you know, you know. A new Wall Street Journal survey ranked the top colleges for party. And if you think big state schools top the list, nope, think again. Here's the top five. Coming in at number five, top colleges for parties, 
Tarleton State University in little old Stevensville, Texas, down the road outside of Dallas. At number four, a school that waitlisted me back in the day. Ha. James Madison University in lovely Harrisonburg, Virginia. Some of my friend's kids apparently can personally confirm this ranking. At number three, another small school, Birmingham Southern College, and of course, Birmingham, Alabama, home of the Panthers. You go, Panthers. At number two, TCU, rocking the party list, course formerly known as Texas Christian University. And coming in at the top, the number one American college for partying, parents get ready, it is Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Based in Indiana, Pennsylvania, the journal says kids love their party scene, maybe filling up from Noble Stein Brewing for a little beer pong. So uh, I guess we'll do a cheers to IUP, which they probably do a lot of. But which college apparently has the worst party scene, according to the survey? We are sorry, students at the University of Alaska Anchorage, the Seawolves bringing up the bottom. Given it's dark, like a big chunk of the year and cold, you'd think they'd be a little bit higher up on that list, right? Sit inside, party a little bit. Anyway, University of Alaska Anchorage, eh, the bottom. All right, from college parties to pot. How's that for a transition? And as more and more states legalize recreational marijuana use, there is new legislation now proposed at the federal level that would aim to allow bud companies to do business with big banks. Jane Wells has the story. Marijuana is now legal in more than half the country in one form or another, and yet an industry that has grown to an estimated $33 billion is still mostly transacted in cash. That has resulted in a massive number of robberies in Oregon. A dispensary is robbed almost every other day. Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley wanted to change that. And today? This bill is about public safety first and foremost. The Senate Banking Committee passed his bill to allow state legal cannabis operations to have accounts at the nation's big banks, banks which have been barred from doing business with them because marijuana remains illegal at the federal level. Our regulators and our federal legislators have completely ignored the voice of the people. The new law would allow more than just bank accounts. It would let state legal cannabis companies get loans, mortgages, insurance. No bank could refuse their business just because they're dealing in pot. Customers could finally use credit cards and there might be more investment. Right now, it's essentially impossible for institutions to own stock in the largest U.S. operators in cannabis. And passing legislation like this should lead to that possibility. The bill now goes to the full Senate, but even if it becomes law, legal cannabis faces two more challenges. The first is being reclassified as less dangerous. It makes no sense that marijuana remains a Schedule One drug while the state legal marijuana industry is booming. But the second challenge is even bigger, convincing the IRS to let marijuana operations make normal business deductions. It's really absurd that cannabis businesses cannot deduct their expenses. So they are required by law to pay taxes on their gross revenue rather than their net revenue. Now, this bill got bipartisan support only after a lot of hard work and compromise. For example, some Republican senators who do not support legalization did support this bill because they say the same language which forbids these federally regulated banks from refusing service to legal marijuana businesses also bans them from refusing services to gun makers and oil companies. Brian? Yeah, I mean, fascinating stuff there. How much more does it have? do we have to go? Where would, Jane, this kind of roughly put us 
in the process of it kind of becoming almost completely normalized at a federal and somewhat well, state level? There are, there are three key things that have to happen. Banking, which this is now making its way. Chuck Schumer says he's going to get it to the Senate floor as soon as possible. The House will most likely approve it if it gets there and the president will sign. Second is reclassifying or declassifying. Right now, marijuana is as dangerous as heroin. And the big thing, getting the IRS to let them make the same tax deductions that anyone else can who's in business, that's the difference. That tax deductions for payroll or rent is the difference for many companies between profit and loss. Great stuff, as always, Jane. How about that toss right at 420, your time? Yeah. Did you plan that? We didn't. You tipped us off. We did not plan it, but somehow it's amazing how things just work out. It's just one of those hazy miracles. Well, and it always tends to be with you. Jane Wells, thank you very much. (laughs) All right, joining us now with reaction is North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer. Senator, uh, welcome, by the way. Thank you for coming on Last Call. You are one of the three Republicans to vote for this bill. Tell us why. Well, a couple of reasons, Brian. First of all, thanks for having me. Um, Senator Daines, Senator Lummis, and I are all three not only yes votes on the committee, we're all three co-sponsors of the of the bill, and I have been for a couple of sessions now. It looks like it happened rather suddenly. The reality is people have been working on this for five to ten years. And my reason is this. I, I'm one of those Republicans who does not support the legalization of cannabis, but in my state of North Dakota, the citizens decided to make it legal for medicinal purposes, which I think 37 other states, states have done the same thing. That's called federalism, in my view, and I support federalism. And so I think it makes no sense to have a, even a, it, probably especially a controversial business like cannabis legalization be a cash-only business. So safer banking puts uh, cannabis under the, in a category that allows the regulated banking industry to do the banking rather than, you know, duffel bags full of cash, which I think um, it was clearly unsafe yeah. for lots of reasons, but it also is unchecked. Well, this is, I think some people might find your, your vote and view surprising, Senator. I mean, I know you're a federal senator, you're not a state senator, but recreational marijuana, I believe, is illegal in North Dakota. It is, but medicinal marijuana is legal in North Dakota. And and um, we're talking about a federal law here that doesn't coincide with the decision of various and individual states. And so when it comes to the precepts of cooperative federalism or a federalism model like the United States is, I think you have to yield to the states. The other thing, Brian, is while I wish we didn't have any legal marijuana anywhere in the country, that would be my desire, the reality is we do. And and that horse left the barn a long time ago. And and now we have a cash-only business that's a controversial business. And I just think we, we as federal lawmakers have to recognize what's going on in reality on the ground, both in our states and, and other states. All right, outside of that, Senator, while we have you, I want to ask you this. The Senate has a bipartisan bill to keep the government open for a little bit longer, but it does nothing for the southern border. Many in the House are fuming about that. Are there any discussions or talk about changing the Senate resolution and adding some border provisions as we've had, what, I think over two million encounters, as they say, from Border Patrol just this year? So, Brian, to answer your question, the word yes, there, there are a number of senators right now working on some type of an amendment that could be added to that Senate bill, and we'll certainly, I would think, have a vote on that. 
as for me, I think the more realistic approach is to make the Senate bill cleaner, not add more things to it. Because every time you add things to it, you may get a few votes, but you also run the risk of, of muddying the waters. Whatever the case, um, I think we need more time, obviously, to negotiate things like border, uh, you know, border um, money, and, and not just the money, but what would the money be used for? We need to do some more things for our national security you know, to fight back against uh, despots and dictators all around the, the world, and better prepare our our uh, military and, mm -hmm. and our industrial complex. All of that, though, should be done in the in a normal, regular process of of mini buses or, or individual appropriations bills or some sort of a, you know legislation that's specific to the topic, rather than you know yep. a, a stopgap measure to just simply keep the government running a little longer so the appropriators can get that work done. I'd rather see it more simplified rather than more complicated. But if we're going to provide more money for Ukraine, we ought to at least have a similar amount for our own southern border. I think many people might agree with that. Senator Kevin Kramer, North Dakota. We interviewed your governor on Monday, by the way. I feel like it's all about North Dakota this week. Senator, thank you very much. It, 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 as it ought to be. As thank it you, ought, Of course, it, as it ought to be. <laughs> Senator, thank you. All right, a big note on tomorrow. It is CNBC's Delivering Alpha Annual Summit to New York City. Convene top investors and leaders, provide inside ideas and analysis to help you balance risk with maximized returns. I did not write that. Scan the QR code or visit CNBC events slash Delivering Alpha for more info. Still ahead, Philadelphia in shock following widespread looting. A retail crime surge around America getting worse. But what's really driving it? Who are the people behind the videos? Who's actually buying this stuff? Where does it go? We're going to talk about an author who did a deep dive into just that. Next. Record this. Record this. All right, welcome back. Let's get at our last call watch list. First up, it could be soon snake eyes on the strip. 60,000 Las Vegas workers have authorized a potential strike. Any walkout could impact 22 casinos and maybe your vacation. Next up, Peloton and Lululemon are joining forces. They've signed a five-year deal, bringing Peloton's content to Lululemon's exercise app. In return, Lululemon will become Peloton's primary athletic apparel partner. Both stocks up. Gold losing a little luster. Gold settling below 1900 an ounce, lowest close since early March. Gold now posting losses for three straight sessions. Kind of watching gold. All right. Meantime, to a story and images that we've been seeing a lot of lately. All right, you're going to look at video last night from Philadelphia where police say over 50 people were indeed arrested following a night of intense looting at retail stores in the city. Stores targeted were included the aforementioned Lululemon, Foot Locker, and Apple. Police say they suspect organized retail crime to be behind the break-ins. In other words, some big groups or people behind all those teens and kids that you see there. And let's be clear, this is not just a Philadelphia problem. Just hours before what you saw there in Philadelphia, Target said it was going to close nine stores, eight out west, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, one in New York City. Target blaming high theft and crime levels for the shutdowns. And this theft issue is hitting the industry as a whole. A new National Retail Federation report says retailers lost over $112 billion in 2022. And that loss, remember, is not insurable. And that is likely being passed on to you as higher costs, at least in some places, and maybe lower costs in another. 
New York Magazine writer James Walsh just did a deep dive into this piece. It is a or into this story. It's a great piece. Also explains how this could take a psychological toll on store employees. James, thanks very much for joining us. I urge everybody to read that piece. I'll, I will uh, post it out after the show. And, and listen, we see all these images, these teens and these kids. I get it. But who's behind the scenes? Where? Who's buying this stuff? Who's kind of kind of organizing the organized retail theft? Well, I think uh, who's buying this stuff is it's you, it's me, it's it's consumers who doesn't love a bargain. And when we see a bargain online, uh, we go for it. And, and so a lot of this is being driven by you know people who want a, a cheaper iPhone, people who want cheaper cosmetics online. Um, but in terms of who's in between, uh, you know, shoplifters, boosters, looters, anybody who's stealing. Uh, on a regular basis could uh, be selling uh, the products on on Facebook Marketplace, on Craigslist, on Amazon, um, uh, any number of, of marketplaces. Um, but uh, when we talk about organized retail crime, often that means there's a middleman, there's a yeah. fence or, or an, you know, an e-fence um, uh, who's, who's collecting from boosters or shoplifters, uh, maybe doing something to the packaging and then turning it around and, and throwing it on these, these online marketplaces. Because, you know, and, and unfortunately, and there's a lot of social issues behind this as well, we see these videos, and that's all we see, but I simply can't believe, in reading your piece, I don't believe, that some 17-year-old who steals a bunch of stuff, okay, shouldn't be doing it, of course, but who steals a bunch of stuff is throwing that stuff on Amazon, right? They've got to be, and your article piece implied that there are people out there that are buying for probably pennies on the dollar all this stuff from these kids, including one guy you highlighted who had like a million dollars in Home Depot power tools in his basement or something. Right, yeah, power tools, very, very popular. Um, I mean, you know, I do want to point out that I think to the extent that there is a spike in this sort of shoplifting, which is a matter of some debate, um, surprisingly, uh, you know, it's not being driven by teenage looters like these images were seen. Um, a lot of it is just being driven by people who are uh, desperate for, for money and, and going um, into uh, often pharmacies and, and grabbing some of uh some products and bringing it to one of these e-fences. Um, you know, in New York, uh, a large percentage of those uh, arrests, those petty larceny arrests, those petty larceny shoplifting arrests are because of people who uh, have a substance, uh, underlying substance issue and are doing it um, because they need money because they'll be dope sick. So is there anything so we can, yeah, but is there anything we can do? And you highlighted some of those, but this is, I think this is that and that are kind of different. Is there anything we can do like to prevent I mean, I don't want to I want to I don't want to pay a lot of money for anything. Right. Like everybody in America. But I also want to buy something stolen off Amazon. Oh, apparently we have to go. We're out of time. Uh, but I will tweet it out, James. Good story. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. There we go. Call that missing the time cue in my business. All right. Coming up. Just how much do Americans really want to buy an EV? We've got hot off the presses data. You're going to want to hear right after this. All right, welcome back to Last Call. We are back from Detroit, where it is day 13 of the UAW strike, and it could get hotter soon. The union now threatening to expand its walkouts to other locations if there is not significant progress in negotiations by 10 a.m. Friday. 
That is not the only significant news for the auto industry today. Wall Street's leading auto analyst Adam Jonas of Morgan Stanley sending up a warning flare to the big three, effectively in a note saying that Ford, GM, and Stellantis should kind of reconsider their EV production plans. His reasons? EV forecasts for Detroit's big three are still well below intended targets, and his estimates are not projecting any improvements or much of on the horizon. Jonas adds that the Detroit three, as he calls them, may not be able to make electric cars and trucks profitably anytime soon. And Jonas kind of also hints that maybe Detroit should leave the EV biz to Tesla and what is certain to be incoming and cheap Chinese competition. Let them duke it out. Well, despite the big three size, Tesla absolutely demolishes them and others when it comes to EV sales in America. Look at that. Tesla, 325,000 cars sold in the first six months of the year. GM, a little under one-tenth of that at 34,000. Ford, Hyundai, and then Rivian at just under 18,000. Look at that. The next four combined, what is that? Barely, if not even 100,000, not even one-third of Tesla combined. All right, but Detroit was built on steel, grit, and optimism. And they are convinced they can gain market share especially with the help of a few hundred billion of taxpayer subsidies of your money, by the way. So there is some reason for optimism. Using customer data, market research firm Zeta Global predicts, quote, EV sales will continue to spike across America over the next year and over the next five years. So let's find out more on what car buyers may be thinking. Joining us now for more on the future of EVs is Zeta Global CEO David Steinberg. And what I love about your data, by the way, it's data at Zeta. There you go, David. You can use that. Thank you, Brian. Is that, I, like, you don't, I like that. Yeah, you know, it's all for it. That's on the house. You don't have to think about what people are thinking. You don't have to guess because your data backs up what they're actually doing. And what is that? So, you know, you could call it zero party data. That's a term for when people actually tell you what they want. And on the Zeta data cloud, what we're seeing is People want EV vehicles. They're trying to figure out how to buy them. Uh, there are some challenges for the bigger companies, but inside of the Zeta data cloud, we're able to see what people are reading, what they're researching, uh, where they're going in the real world, and we're able to synthesize that into intent. And what are, what are they intending? Like, you know, I, I talk to a lot of auto dealers, you know, but again, that's just anecdotal type stuff. What, what, what can we read from the data that you're looking at? You know, we're seeing massive research inside of EV vehicles. Now, Tesla continues to be the leader by far, as you just so evidenced. Uh, but we're starting to see some of that spill over in the form of market learning. So people will go to a Tesla dealership and they will learn about it. We're starting to see indication of interest. It's, it's interesting you said the uh, Asian manufacturers will be sending. We're seeing Kia and Hyundai, and, and interestingly enough, Ford as well, are starting to see research trends that we hadn't seen before. And you know, we're, we really believe that the, the EV adoption rate is going to continue to go up, and we're going to see EV sales continue to go up over the next five years. Yeah, and, and that's that's obviously, we were in Detroit yesterday, David, and that's obviously the hope. I mean, that's what, it's not the hope. That's what they're betting billions on, and by the way, thousands or tens of thousands of jobs. But the dealers I talk to will often, and it doesn't matter which brand it is, they'll say the, kind of the same thing. They'll say, we get people come in, they're curious about electric vehicles, 
They ask a bunch of questions. They probably even drive one. Then they just end up buying a gas-powered car. Is your data backing any of that anecdotal stuff up? Yeah, so what we're seeing is today the vast majority of EV buyers continue to be people who consider themselves to be technologically advanced. New movers, first movers, people who have the iPhone 15 the day it comes out, not buying last year's version, right? And that's starting to expand. So we've seen a 30% increase in the number of people who are researching buying an EV vehicle who do not consider themselves to be early adopters. For the first time, too, we're starting to see rural people starting to research EV vehicles. Now, they start with research. They might buy a gas-powered vehicle this time. But we believe that over the next five years, you're going to see those people move from researching to buying. That you, you, you just sang music to Detroit's ears. Zeta Data, Zeta Global, David Steinberg. David, thank you very much. And by thank way, you, Brian. By the way, great luck. You got your, we got a conference. You got your Zeta Global live conference tomorrow. Good luck to you as well. Thank you, Brian. We just crossed 12,000 people signed up for Zeta Live. We appreciate it. I'll be in the city for delivering Alpha. I might just swing over to yours, too, before this show. David, would- thank, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. Coming up, is it the hot new thing or is it the new Google Glasses total bust? What Facebook's meta just unveiled next. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Let's get real about virtual reality. Facebook's meta rolling out a new VR headset. Costs about 500 bucks, much cheaper than Apple's $3,000 headset. So let's take a look. There you go. These are the new Ray-Ban Meta Glasses. Look, it's a glass, not some big bulky thing. It's kind of cool looking glasses. They can live stream your video directly to Facebook or Instagram with just a few taps. Live streaming video with no hands. What could possibly go wrong? Stock didn't move on the news. Let's talk more about this and just this whole thing in general. RSE Venture CEO Matt Higgins, thanks for joining us. Uh, years ago, there was this thing called Google Glass, kids, and I actually made a crack about running over a squirrel, riding a bike in college drunk. It was a fake story, but I ad-libbed that John Oliver thought that there was no way I could come up with that, but John, I did. Uh, Google Glass was a bust, by the way. Is this, what is this? Is this going to work? Who wants to do this? I think it's basically a uh, solution in search of a problem. I mean, I had the I had the good fortune of being very early and losing money in VR. I thought VR was going to transform sports. Wrote a pretty decent check into a company called Next VR to give people different perspectives, and it turns out there just wasn't a customer. I don't think a lot has changed. I think these products are still searching for a customer. They work for gaming. They actually work pretty well for B two B. You know, somebody could overlay blueprints or to train your employees. But I think today's announcement was probably a big yawn. And I suspect uh, Meta probably knows that. What are they doing then, Matt? I mean, uh, by the way, Facebook, okay, Mark Zuckerberg, he literally built social media, okay, as we know it. But other than that, they haven't innovated anything, really. They, They buy stuff. Well, look, I'm long uh, Facebook. Okay, well. Uh, So I I think Mark is very good at acquiring and very good at trying not to acquire. 
And I think today was really more a branding play. I think the uh, I think the Quest Three was a sideshow, uh, although probably pretty good product uh, for gamers. But the the real news today was Mark's attempt to continue to rebrand the company as AI focused. He mentioned the metaverse twice. Took him thirty four minutes to mention it for the first time. It was probably a mistake. Uh, they want to brand themselves as AI. They created these chat bots. I was disappointed they didn't have one for you, Brian, because you were early on this. But they, the, the the bottom line is today was about rebranding the company and all these fun, playful consumer apps that basically are attempt to draw their 3.5 billion customers to look at Meta as a place to go to embrace AI. Yeah, and you're, you're a shareholder, so you want this stuff to succeed. And listen, I hope, I mean, I think when I'm old, you know, sitting at home, hopefully have some grandkids, you know, maybe if I can't be with them, I can throw on some cool headsets or glasses and be like Ready Player One, where I'm almost in the room and being able to do stuff that I wouldn't be able to do. We're not even close to that yet, but is there some grand breakthrough that maybe we're just not aware of that's going to happen? And maybe maybe Apple's AR augmented reality is going to be a lot better than VR virtual reality. I don't know. I, actually, I think the whole thing is built on a false premise. Think how long we've been waiting for a 3D to go mainstream at home, right? It's invented in like the 50s or something. So I actually think the whole thing's a sideshow because uh, you know consumers don't want an isolated experience. What is interesting that Meta is doing is all the AI work that takes place below the surface, particularly a product called Advantage Plus, where they're helping small businesses figure out their ad strategy using AI. Small businesses I talk to are getting a 20% lift in conversion, that stuff is interesting. I think Meta has a tremendous advantage in AI because they have a huge data set, but the glasses, there's a sideshow, these little chat bots today. They were Matt, they special. changed the name of the company to Meta. Wish they could get that one back, I'm sure. <laughs> but you know, Meta right, Go, go back to again. Facebook, new Facebook, yeah, Meta, all, it's like new Coke, just Coke, Facebook. Just Coke. Metaverse will come back around again though, just not for a few years. Are people still buying land in the Metaverse with like real money? Remember when that was a thing like two years ago? Yeah, yeah. Did live next gonna, to Snoop Dogg online. Oh God, I remember that. Yeah, but I do. I still think Bitcoin. Still long Bitcoin and Ethereum will come back too. There you go, Matt Higgins, RSE Ventures, and the boat, the book, burn the boats. It's been a long couple days, Matt. Thank you very much. Appreciate. <laughs> All right, have a have a great night. I did the show last night standing on a median. The median, by the way, was very average. All right. Do you know what happened? Twenty five. You liked. I know you liked it. You know what happened 25 years ago tonight? We just talked about it. A small tech company launched what is now the most popular search engine on the planet. Duck, duck, no, Google. Let's go back in time to 1998. Google's processing 10,000 searches a day. 10,000. Now 8.5 billion a day. 98,000 searches every second. They went public in 04. A bunch of people made a lot of money. If you'd invested 10 grand in Google and went public, you'd have won $600,000 today. What was the name of the original company? Back scratch or some back rub, something like that. Anyway, uh, if you know, let me know. We'll see you tomorrow. That's it. Take care. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.